I dare say you have a favourite psalm or a favourite part of a psalm. Psalm 145 includes this. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing, which is an appropriate kind of text for harvest, isn't it? Father, we celebrate your love. We sing to praise your name. We delight in who you are. We rejoice in all that you have done. There is no one like you. You are the one in whom all things consist. And it is our pleasure to express our indebtedness to you, to say thank you for everything, not least for the food that is before us, giving us a taste of what either we have grown with our own hands in our own gardens or allotments or have purchased through the efforts of other people. But we praise you that you are the God who has provided it all and we give you thanks. And we ask that, that your word might speak to us and help us to live lives in all the fullness that you came to bring. We know that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So speak to us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read the psalm to us. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, 
to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. David is a great songwriter, isn't he? What's your favourite psalm? Tell me. 51. 51 I've heard. This is not bingo, by the way. 51. 91, a wonderful psalm of reassurance. 23. Fits every season of life, doesn't it? Often used at funerals and at weddings because it fits every kind of situation. Many of them were written by David. This is his last one in the whole of the Psalter. His last collection is here, 138 to 145, and this is his final swan song. He just burst with praise. He praises God for his awesome works and his character, and he anticipates God's everlasting kingdom to come. David, as you see through his psalms, sees way into the future and often draws on images that will come in the New Testament in all their fullness. The Psalms are the voice of God's people singing to him in praise and prayer. And they remind the people who first sang them, and us too, of the central role of worship in the biblical story. How fundamental, crucial, central worship was that focuses on God because it recalls both his essential goodness and love and also the wonderful things that he has done. Worship draws us back to God. So in this structured psalm, David both declares his intention to praise the Lord in the first verse and in the last verse, and in between meditates on three aspects of God's character. God is great, verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is gracious and merciful, Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He is also righteous and just. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. But just in case you think you can separate out some of the attributes of God, you find each one of those subjects is intermingled. So when he's talking about his greatness, verse 3, he includes his goodness and righteousness, verse 7. When he's speaking about his graciousness in verse 8, it includes his greatness in verses 11 to 13. When he's speaking about his righteousness, he's also speaking about his graciousness in verse 17. But how do these words that were spoken by people like us to God function as a word to us from God? And they do so in precisely the same way as they did for Israel in the first place. It gives us opportunity to speak to God in words he first gave others to speak to him. So I dare say you often use the Psalms and the hymn writers and songwriters often go to the Psalms for their material. The very best songs you could ever sing are those that are scripture. They will never change. They never need to be updated. 
So let me offer you three thoughts to help you use this psalm and perhaps other psalms in your own devotions to God. They are memorable. Here's the first thought. Psalms and this particular psalm points me in the right direction. This psalm points me in the right direction. Sin is the tendency of the unredeemed spirit to, be, to want to be at the core of everything. That I am the most important person in my life. That I owe allegiance to no one and certainly not to God. It is in essence a refusal to make any obligation to God and to live in his world without any reference to him or gratitude to him. Harvest, of course, provides us with an opportunity corporately to pause at a particular point in the year and say thank you, not just for this food, but for the way God has provided us right the way through the year with everything we've needed. Sin, in other words, in the words of the song, is to do things my way. But when I use this psalm, I see this psalm is not pointed towards me at all. It is pointed entirely towards God. In this psalm, I'm turned away from my preoccupation with myself and turned towards the one who is my creator, my king and my God. Let me quote someone to you. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. It's not just about singing songs. It's about focusing on God. Worship is the time and place that we assign for deliberate attentiveness to God. So the Psalms in general demonstrate the importance of reflection and meditation on things that God has done for us. And the Psalm points us to God. They invite us to controlled thinking on God's word. That's what meditation is. And to reflect or to reflective fellowship with other believers. So if you look at this psalm, you find that every single verse, without exception, is focused on God. Absolutely and completely. Who he is, what he's done, what he will do. This is the purpose of worship. Worship is not to make me feel good, to give me a buzz, a high, that I can enjoy for the rest of the week. Worship is to focus me on who God is and what he's done. So praise in this psalm is poured out to God for his greatness and power, his unfathomable greatness, his mighty acts, the glorious splendor of his majesty, his wonderful, awesome and great deeds. They're worth reflecting on, aren't they? And praise in this psalm is poured out to God for his character. Many folk in our circle of friends who are not yet in the kingdom of God will often say to us, well, I don't believe in God. And when you pursue on them on that, when you press them on that and find out what kind of God they don't believe in, it's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. They have some kind of aberration. But when you come to the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you find he's eminently worthy of praise. He is gracious, compassionate, loving, forgiving, good, faithful, just and kind. One who satisfies the needs of all his creation. Every single action that I, 
the psalmist, take in this psalm is God-centered. I will exhort my God the King and praise his name forever. I will meditate on his wonderful works. I will proclaim your great deeds. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Every time the psalmist speaks of himself, he's focusing towards God. Every time he speaks of other people, they're doing the same. Every action they take is God-centered. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and sing of your righteousness. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. They look to him. They call on him in truth and cry out to him in their need. Later on, Paul would write to Christians in the New Testament and say this, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. If we want our lives to hold together, if we want integrity in our lives, if we want wholeness in our lives, then we have to focus on Jesus because all things hold together in him. And the Psalms help us to do exactly that, to gaze at the Lord, to adore the Lord, to focus on him and reflect on his ways, meditate on what he's done. And if we don't want the power struggles that so often afflict the church with people trying to press this and trying to do that, we focus on Jesus because in him he might have the supremacy. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's his church. And when we come before God, we're all on a level ground. Leader, led, notwithstanding. It cures us of our pride and our arrogance as we focus on God. How could we be arrogant when we see ourselves from the perspective of God in all his greatness and power? It humbles us. So this psalm helps me to put Christ at the centre of everything, to know the integrity of life as he holds it all together and to give him supremacy in all things. It points me in the right direction. Let me encourage you, if you're not familiar with it, turn to your psalms frequently. When you're in joy and when you're in sorrow, you'll find a psalm for every kind of situation and it will help you put everything back into perspective. Secondly, the psalm teaches me to praise. That's what they were intended for. Why do we have these intimate, personal testimonies in the scripture? What, ser what do they serve? They serve to teach me how to praise. Have you ever found yourself wanting to say something to God but not having the words to do it? You're all fluent people. You obviously don't have this problem. I do frequently. And the Psalms offer me, if not you, with the opportunity of learning how to praise. They can serve as a guide to worship. And this one acts as a guide to praise God, who is the Lord of history. As this psalmist, David, looks back, he reflects over what God has been doing and praises him for what he's done. 
reflecting on and remembering the good, wonderful, awesome, mighty things he has done for men and women in the past inspires me to praise him. Someone said, the Psalms tutor my soul in their love for God. The Psalms tutor my soul in my love for God. When we want to offer God praise, this Psalm offers us the way of doing that, to express our concerns in spite of our own lack of skill in finding the right words. This is why we sing psalms. This is why we sing songs and hymns. Not so we fill up the first part of the service with music, otherwise we'd get to the preacher too quickly. That's not the reason. The reason is to teach us to praise God. To use the rich, deep words of a past generation sometimes and a present generation otherwise and together to use those words to speak praise to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer suggests that the Psalms are God's language course. Just as infants learn their mother tongue from their parents, Christians learn the language of praise from the Psalms. And you and I have been in many places and churches where if we were to have an open time of prayer, many would pray neat scripture. Their prayer will be complete scripture because their minds are so doused in the word of God that it comes out naturally. It's okay to do that. In praise, the creature happily acknowledges that everything good and true and beautiful in the universe comes from the creator, everything. So while extempore, made up on the spot, prayer is wonderful, it expresses the ongoing conversational relationship we have with God as a child with a father without being encumbered by any formality of language yet crafted prayer and crafted praise where you think it through beforehand and write it down and present it back to God is very rich indeed and gives us memorable ways of worshipping God. If you've never written a psalm, let me encourage you, have a go. Not for the consumption of other people, but write down. So you can use that. If you're struggling to know what to pray at the end of the day, struggle with words, borrow someone else's prayer, or write your own, and use it every day. Some of us in the free church think that you cannot use stuff from old times because it kind of limits you. No, it doesn't. It sets you free. It sets you free from the struggle of finding the right word to be able to use the words of others rich in meaning. This is an acrostic psalm, which means that every verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's designed like that to be memorable, easier to memorize. It's an alphabet of praise. And in uplifting God in praise, I am the beneficiary as well as God. I don't worship and praise in order to feel good. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I didn't get much out of the worship service tonight. You just want to bang them on the head, don't you? It's not about us getting something out of it. It's about giving something to God. But the interesting thing is, as we give ourselves to God, we are the beneficiaries. Why wouldn't it be the case? Because everything God asks us to do is good for us. So the construction of the tabernacle 
the construction of the temple was done in such a way as to draw people's attention to God and off themselves. And the further in you go to the tabernacle, and the further in you go to the temple, the richer and more expensive are the materials that are used there. There's a lesson there. And when Moses is being told how to build the tabernacle, it starts with right at the core. So when we put together services, they don't start with me, what do I want? When we put services together, it's what God wants. And you work out from there. Never start with us. We always start with God. And come out to us. The layout of church buildings says something about priority. You go to an Anglican church, what is in the centre of an Anglican church? What would take the eye as you go forward? Tell me. You can't remember, can you? You've been there before. Is the communion table, isn't it? Right dead centre. And halfway back is the lectern with the word of God. Subtly ensuring that we have a focus on the death of Christ and an intermediary focus on the word of God. They were built with that in mind to give people a visual aid, to help people see what was important in life. So this psalm shows me, not by doctrinal instruction, praise, but by example, this is how you can articulate your adoration to God. And remember, psalms are meant to be sung, or at the very least, spoken aloud. And when I speak them aloud, I am liberated from my smallness of thinking. So as I encourage you to write your own psalm or to read the psalms, let me encourage you, read it aloud. And if you're embarrassed, find a corner where no one can hear you and read it aloud. Some of the psalms require you to shout, so you may need a wood in which to do that sort of stuff. Thirdly, the psalm reminds me that I am not alone. One of our preoccupations, and Mother Teresa said the worst disease on earth was loneliness. The thought that nobody cares. The Psalms remind me, as the whole scriptures do, but the Psalms as well, remind me I'm not alone. This was written by someone who walked this way before me. Isn't that encouraging? These aren't just made up last week by someone with a computer. This was written by a man who was walking the biblical walk with God. And by using his psalm, I'm, I'm as it were tracking the same line. I'm part of the people of God. I'm not living this life on my own. The Psalter is the Jewish hymn book and it rises out of personal experiences within the people of God and compiled for corporate use to encourage one another as they struggle through issues, struggling together. C.S. Lewis suggested that we be might best imagine praise by thinking of our instinctive response to a great work of art or a symphony or extraordinary beauty in any form. The natural response, he suggests, is first to pause and enjoy the surpassing beauty, almost as if kneeling before it, and then to announce to others, oh, I wish you could be here to see the snowfall. It makes everything so beautiful. You want to share it, don't you? I listened to something that was sublime last night. Jim this morning has spoken about sunsets and sunrise. Obviously you've seen some good ones. 
And when you do, you just want to tell people about it. Praise does that. We have a great God and praise wants to share that truth with others, recognising we're part of a community of people on this journey. One generation, says this psalmist, will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. There is a place for telling our story, not to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to God. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. We want to share what we know of God with one another. We want to stir one another up to love and good works. And by rehearsing the goodness, generosity, faithfulness and love of God, we encourage ourselves and we encourage other people to look to God when they've fallen down. He upholds those who fall. He lifts up all those who are bowed down. We encourage others who are bowed down or in need to look to God. We encourage others to call on him in truth or cry out to him for help because he is the God who hears. And our meditation on scripture reminds us of the countless times, both in biblical history, church history, and in our own experience, God has turned to good. We encourage others to know that God is watching over those who love him. If you have children, or grandchildren, or people within your family you consider like that, aren't you glad that God is watching over them? Because you can't, aren't you? That wherever they are, whatever they're doing, God is watching over them. It's a tremendous reassurance for those who have obligations and responsibilities towards others. The psalm does not guarantee a pleasant, trouble-free life. No psalm does. And to think it does is a misunderstanding of the language of the psalms. God does not promise to make his, happy, his believers happy and their lives trouble-free. David, who wrote this psalm, lived a life that was almost filled with tragedy and disappointment. Read 1 and 2 Samuel. Yet he praises God enthusiastically at every turn because God is worthy of praise. In this world you will have trouble. David could have written that before Jesus said it. God deserves praise for his greatness and goodness in spite of and in the midst of our difficulties and trials. So my desire is not only that I should praise the name of the Lord, but I should encourage others to praise the name of the Lord. I once read a, an article about Terry Waite. Terry Waite, for four and a half, nearly five years, was held as a hostage in Lebanon in the late 1980s. He was a special envoy of the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he was taken hostage, and for four years of his 1,793 days in captivity. He was in solitary confinement, largely cut off from any connection with people other than his guards. And he later wrote that one of the great helps to his mental sanity and spiritual health was to pray, as an Anglican, the offices of the Book of Common Prayer. And in so doing, he felt that instead of praying prayers that would be entirely focused on him 
He was joining in with the prayers of Anglicans right across the world so that although he was imprisoned in body, he was liberated in spirit. He was not alone. He was part of the people of God. So let me encourage you, if you're not accustomed to doing it particularly, turn back to your book of Psalms and use them to praise God. You can often find small testaments, which are the New Testament and Psalms, small enough to slip in your pocket. And you can do that, or a handbag, and take them with you, and read them out to yourself, to encourage you. Wherever you are this week, or in the coming weeks, you're not alone. You're part of the people of God. People have walked your way before, and people will walk your way after you. God has walked with them. God will be with them. And God is with you. So Psalms point me back to God. They teach me how to praise. And they remind me I'm not on my own. I'm part of God's people. Let me pray. Lord, you are faithful to all your promises. You are loving towards all you have made. You uphold all those who fall. You lift up all who are bowed down. And we here look to you and today particularly celebrate that you have given us our food at its proper time. This year you have opened your hand and satisfied the desires of us sitting here. And we praise you, Father, for you are good and your love endures forever. Help us then, Father, to find ourselves turning back to you again and again in the coming year, whatever it may hold, and in this coming week, to walk in step with your Spirit. Thank you for teaching us how to praise you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.